Hey everyone, it's great to be back. It's been a while, so I uh, took a little bit of a hiatus, but I'm going to be coming back with more wonderful content for you. Now, here's a really interesting one that came up. Now, we all have uh, varying opinions when it comes to the vaccine. I'm not here to tell you mine because it really doesn't matter. But of course, in various news outlets, they've taken it upon themselves to do what, in my opinion, is unethical which is find ways to persuade the general population about a medical procedure. Now, I've done topics on persuasion and advised doctors and uh, companies about how you can use persuasion ethically. And there is a big difference between using persuasion to persuade somebody, let's say a patient, when it comes to healthy lifestyle choices. For example, mm, you should, you know, not, let's say, drink Coca-Cola or eat high carbohydrate foods because you have a you know high risk profile for diabetes, right? That's one thing. But to persuade people on getting a medical procedure, which the vaccine is technically kind of like a medical procedure in the sense that you're injecting something into you, right? I find that to be unethical. Now, for me, um, I am not anti-vax. I'm also not pro-vax. I am pro uh, people should be allowed to make decisions and have a choice about what they do with their bodies, right? Um, but now let's kind of just get into this topic. So persuasion is not something that people are naturally good at. And even when they have careers that call for it, let's say in sales and marketing, they're actually not good at it, right? That's just by my experience. You know, recently, uh, Business Insider, the uh, uh, business magazine, interviewed advertising executives in a piece titled, How to Sell the Vaccine to the Unvaccinated, According to Six Advertising Executives Who Are Pros at Persuasion. And um, I couldn't help but wonder, well, oh, these are pros of persuasion. Let's see what these ideas are. Now, as a serious practitioner and a longtime student of persuasion, I'll start by saying about saying that these ideas are really bad. <laughs> you know, that's let's start there. Um, plus, the ideas of marketers giving advice on how to persuade the public on medical procedures also unethical. Um, you know, you would think that if somebody comes and approaches a marketer about something like this, they would say, "No, that's really not my place." But nope, for business insider, I'm like, "Hey, what the hell?" I guess you know, you know, any press is good press, right? You know, there are ethics when it comes to persuasion, and I've outlined them in, in, in podcasts before uh, with physicians, again, about how you use persuasion with patients to help them successfully adopting lifestyle changes to prevent the onset of chronic disease. So it's one thing when a doctor uses persuasion to help a patient with diabetes stop drinking soda and adhere to a li healthier lifestyle. It's another thing when it's a marketer. Marketers should not be giving out advice on how to persuade the public about medical decisions. That's just my uh, personal opinion. Open evidence-based evidence uh, public health education really should be the goal. Um, so that being said, you know, I couldn't help but deconstruct these in an attempt to actually teach how persuasion works. So first, let's start with some basics about persuasion for reference, right? This is a fantastic foundation. So here's your persuasion foundation. First, let's start with Robert Cialdini's influence, which is the foundation of persuasion. And it recently actually has a new edition uh, out that I bought, which has a seventh principle. So Cialdini published uh, uh, Influence about 25, 30 years ago. And then, you know, through a lot of new studies in his lab, he discovered a seventh principle. Actually, a lot of the um, 
uh, stuff found in the seventh principle was actually just lying right under the data before his eyes. So here are the six principles of influence, aka persuasion. Number one, reciprocity. So I do something for you, then you'll be persuaded to do something for me, right? That's reciprocity. You reciprocate, right? Commitment and consistency. So we're often persuaded by being consistent to the things we commit to, and this increases with age, right? So that's why a lot of times, you know, you're asked to uh, sign sign something, right? Or make a public declaration, right? Once you've given your word, we have a tendency to stick to our commitments and more importantly, be consistent with the things we've said, right? Liking, we're persuaded by people that we like. Liking someone can come from, you know, how attractive they are, their similarity to us. For example, like, are they the same culture, same, you know, are they into the same team, right? Someone who compliments us, um, has the same ideologies or are associated uh, with trust due to conditioning. For example, your mother, right? Mother actually is persuasive. Um, authority. Anyone who has expertise and looks like they know what they're doing. So titles and clothing have a lot to do with this. Marble really used this back in the day when they had physicians showing that, uh, hey, it's healthy and good idea to smoke. Um, physicians used to be persuasive, but since being politicized in the past year, their influence with the public has now been divided to whichever political or ideological team that they're on. Social proof. Uh, we're persuaded by things that are popular and endorsed by popular people. So if, it ha if a cause has millions behind it plus celebrities, which does have an element of authority in it, we're more likely to be persuaded. And the last thing is scarcity. We're drawn to things that are hard to come by and limited in supply. Now, Kieldini, as I mentioned, added a seventh principle that was uncovered in the data of all this previous work, which is unity. So unity refers to a shared identity, both the influencer and the influenced are a part of. Uh, the more we perceive people are part of us, the more likely we are to be influenced by them. Now, a very simple mnemonic uh, device you can use to remember what I just shared is our class you. So we are learning about persuasion in our class at university. R class, R-C-L-A-S-S, -S, that's reciprocity, commitment and consistency, liking authority, scarce, uh, scarcity and social proof, at university, the U stands for unity. So along with Cialdini's list, I will also add my uh, friend and mentor from afar, Scott Adams, uh, who came up with the persuasion stack in his book, Win Bigly. So Scott Adams, the world famous cartoonist, um, but also trained uh, as a hypnotist with a deep understanding of persuasion. He predicted that Trump uh, would win and become president in 2016, almost two years in advance before the election. So he has an eye for persuasion and he's constantly deconstructing it. So his persuasion stack ra ranks from most persuasive to least. And you'll notice that the list ranks from things that are emotional and visual to things that are logical and oral. Okay, so here's the list. Top three, big fear, identity and small fear. Those are the most persuasive things. Now, as you start going down the list, it becomes less persuasive. So aspirations, habit, analogies, reason, hypocrisy, word thinking, right? Now that you have a basic foundation to anchor to, let's deconstruct these six, six terrible ideas from uh, on persuasion from these advertising execs. Now, I will be honest. One thing you'll notice is that 
they all do have a little bit of tactical persuasion baked into them, but the foundation needed to effectively be persuasive at scale is missing. Um, so if you want references for this, uh, for the research I did on this, you can check out the link in the uh, notes below. I've left a link to the uh, article and you can actually see the um, uh, quotes as business advertising, business, ad business insider uh, uh, tweeted these out. All right, so here is the first one. So executive director Jim Lasser suggests using humor to disarm those who oppose the vaccine. He said the low bar and stickiness of puns can be effective since culturally it feels like our country is going through a civil war, unquote. And here is uh, his, his quote. I was thinking about arms and injections in your arms and the Second Amendment arms being really important uh, freedom in some of these states. What if you had Sean Hannity with a bare arm saying, it's right to bear arms, kill COVID? Terrible. Just absolutely, just not, yeah, terrible. Let, let me explain why. So humor, humor is not persuasive as it puts people in a good mood, right? And it's less likely to get them to take action on something, right? When was the last time that you were, um, that someone humored you or, or something made you laugh and it made you actually take an action. Never. You know, I, I would put money on that. Now, here's the thing. While humor is helpful when connecting with someone and getting them to relax and let their guard down, it isn't helpful when persuading the masses. Now, humor can be used when amplifying contrast, right? That could be persuasive. Great example of this is the I'm a Mac, I'm a PC ad campaign. If you guys remember when... Um, Apple contrasted the problems and shortcomings of Windows PCs that, you know, the Apple was this like really cool uh, guy. PC was like the dorky, nerdy PC guy. And they were contrasting humorously how bad PC was, right? That's where you can use humor. So what would be, you know, persuasive? Well, the opposite of humor, fear. Fear is persuasive. As you noticed from Scott Adams' uh, persuasion stack, right? Number one and number three were big fear and small fear. So even the humorous ad campaign by Apple kind of roots the persuasion in fear. How? Well, by making their audience afraid of the risk that PCs come with, as well as the identity they marked, marketed, right? PC guy was like nerdy, underwhelming, and just unsuccessful, right? So while humor was in those ads, Underneath it, there was a bit of fear, which is like, hey, if you buy a PC, you're going to be uncool. You're going to you know, risk buying something that's not going to work as well as you would like, right? Now, puns help with persuasion when it comes to rhyming, um, as we saw with Johnny Cochran's famous, if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit, right? In the uh, O.J. Simpson trial, like that, that can be persuasive. However, by themselves, these things are not persuasive. They cannot persuade people to take action. Humor and puns are great for getting attention to lead to framing, improving recall, you know, and anchoring, but just by themselves, not going to be persuasive. All right. Bad persuasion too. Using unity at the wrong time, right? So this one ad exec was, you know, I guess had the right idea, but just wrong timing. So uh, same guy, Lasser also... Uh, said reframe the situation to kill COVID could appeal to some. And his thing is, let's turn it from you got to get protected to let's, let's, fuck, let's effing track this thing down and kill it. We got to, we got to get together and effing slay this thing, end quote. 
Now, while on the surface, you might think this is good persuasion, it actually isn't, and let me tell you why. Now, Cialdini's seventh principle, which is unity, might seem to apply here, but it's introduced a bit too late to be persuasive for the audience and in the wrong context, right? The reason is that while everyone might be unified on beating the virus, how that is done is what divides people into political factions, right? Now, this might have worked at the start of the pandemic uh, where everyone was unified against an unknown, right? And you saw that for the most part, people were very much persuaded to mask up, uh, social distance, etc., right? But that's because big fear was behind it, right? There's an unknown, okay? Now, throughout human history, shared pain and fear has really been a bonding agent, uh, transforming identities into we-based concept. The start of the pandemic really shows this. Another event that uh, you saw this happening, September 11th, or even the Boston Marathon bombings, there was unification around the fear of an unknown enemy and a shared pain. That's the thing that you have to remember. Now, um, however, the that concept has really transformed in this case because of the amount of time that has elapsed. More is known, meaning that there's less of a dark, unknown thing that hijacks imaginations when we think about it, right? So the further out we've gone from the vaccines being released, the pandemic so, you know, kind of ending, and then people kind of deciding for themselves, like, you know, I know what the risks are. I know what you know uh, to be, there is to be expected, so this is what I think I'm going to do, right? Now, with that variability in outcomes, those who uh, get, get vaccinated versus those who didn't, anecdotal stories, uh, politics, uh, the unity we saw at the start of the pandemic has now kind of divided itself into different tribes of thought. So you actually have unity within those tribes. So there's unity among people who are pro-vaccine, let's say, and pro-vaccine mandate, and unity amongst the people who are eh, maybe not anti-vax, but let's say anti-vaccine mandate, right? Now, unifying all those tribes, again, for vaccine mandates versus anti-vaccine mandates, right, will be extremely hard, if not impossible, without a new unknown uh, uh, thing to unify in fear against. All right, moving on. Bad persuasion number three, Trump and identity. These things, this, this list just keeps getting worse. Um, so Mike Lee uh, is VP of brand strategy at Cactus Denver. He said, uh, leaders who originally casted doubt on the vaccine should play, quote, the Trump card and give him credit for starting the vaccine program and directing the resources. Uh, Mike Lee went on to say that, the rejectors are the hardest people to move. For others, it's not about the vaccine itself. There's some other inhibiting belief that's getting in the way. It could be identity issue um, where getting the vaccine would conflict with their worldview. Now, here's my thing. While adding Trump definitely injects emotion into the conversation, it does so in the wrong way. The moment you had something as strong and divisive as a topic such as Trump, people will act emotionally. However, you've now used the unity principle against yourself as people will divide into political groups and unify based on that charged emotion. And keep in mind, go back to the uh, persuasion list, right? Scott Adams uh, list number two, identity is a strong piece of persuasion, right? And if we track that back to Chialdini, that becomes what? The liking effect, right? So that's, you know, 
Is it persuasive? Yes, but not persuasive in the way you want it to be. So Lee does have a good point about identity being an inhibiting factor as it is a powerful form of persuasion. So how do you overcome this? Well, one way is showing attractive, healthy people of the same identity, in this case political, getting the vaccine versus ugly, unhealthy people not getting it. That's how you can make this more persuasive. All right, moving on. Bad persuasion number four, converting non-believers. So Brad uh, Flowers, co-founder of the Kentucky-based agency Bullhorn Creatives, said an effective campaign would have to find people who are anti-vaccine and involve them in delivering the message. Quote, they'd have to be part of the team, end quote. Uh, next quote from Flowers, the core of a successful branding campaign is approaching it with empathy. The idea of going big makes me nervous. You can go big and go really wrong if you miss the empathy part. That's a good point, and I, I do agree with it. Now, while it might feel that this could work, it actually persuades people again in the opposite direction. Why? Major theme of the pandemic is people becoming sheep, right, and following orders without question, right? Whether they're um, people on the left or the right or whatever it is, everyone's kind of seen as like, oh, this person's part of, you know, they're, they're, they're brainwashed. There's another sheeple, right? So upon getting someone on, let's say, the pro-vaccine team, it only persuades someone to dig their heels as they see another sheep like going out to slaughter and being converted. So you can get someone who's like, let's say, anti-vaccine mandate, getting the vaccine, saying, hey, you guys, you should, you should definitely go do this. Then that's a conflict of identity. You're, if anything, you, you trigger... Um, a uh, uh, what, what's what's the word here? I'm having a I'm drawing a blank. Cognitive dissonance, right? When you're confused about something. So imagine, um, you know, let's say if you go on the right, let's say a really hardcore uh, right wing commentator, right, who's anti-vaccine, anti-vax mandate, decides to go get a vac, go, go go get the vaccine. Those people are not going to say, oh yeah, we should follow him, right? And actually, here here's a great example of that. Look. Trump, many people would say, right, he catered, you know, the majority of his audience are, are anti-vaccine mandate, and many of whom are anti-vaccine. And he's been at many rallies this year encouraging people to go get the vaccine. Do you think that changed anything? No. If anything, people just dug their heels in deeper, right? People are hyper aware that they are under constant attack to be an influence. And really, to be honest with you, they're becoming more and more immune to simple persuasion taxes, such as seeing someone with shared traits and views change, right? People are becoming more aware of propaganda and how it's used because, again, the advent of social media and internet is pointing these things out, right? And nobody loves, uh, n people don't love uh, things, nobody, nobody loves nothing more than to see uh, obvious BS, you know, and hypocrisy called out, right? All right, moving on. Bad persuasion number five, more information, okay? Emily Minner, uh, Bullhorn, Creatives, uh, Bullhorn Creatives Director of Ops, echoed a warning against making assumptions about those who are anti-vaccine. Quote, we shouldn't assume that everyone is motivated by politics, she said, end quote. I f she, said, uh, she went on to say, I feel like there are people out there who are just hesitant like I was. There's a reason they're holding off. It's not that they're anti-vaccine in general. They just need more information. Um, to a point that, you know, she has a point there. Right, I don't think that there are people. There's plenty of people out there who are um, who are not just pure anti-vax, but they just you know they have some hesitancy. But here's the reason why this doesn't work: people are not rational, right? So showing more information does not help, as there can never be enough information. You know, 
the time that uh, information is persuasive is when it agrees with someone's existing worldviews. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear that, but it's true, right? We're emotional. We make our decisions emotionally, even doctors and scientists, right? You know, now emotions persuade and information helps us feel like we made a logical, informed decision, you know? So again, even if you look at political campaigns, a lot of persuasion is really just focused on persuading your own team, you know, to get out and vote. You know, and when it comes to persuasion, again, it's an emotional-based decision. You have the information there to act as a, a logical backbone, you know, to 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 um, support those decisions. Now, let's finish this off. Bad persuasion number six: testimonials, right? And I know, shocking, right? Testimonials. You would think it falls into social proof. I'm going to explain to you why this does not work. So. Uh, Perry Dugard Owens um, is president and CEO of Strategic Communications at Dugard Communications. She said campaigns should treat this, quote, with the kind of budget and tactics you'd see a political party use to get out the vote. Uh, Owens goes on to say the fear involved is so high, the mistrust. So you need testimonials, not just from the standpoint of aspiration or celebrity, but this is what I've dealt with. People just don't believe COVID is going to happen to them. Uh, there's some, again, good tactical persuasion there. Let me explain why this doesn't work. So testimonials are powerful forms of persuasion depending on who you use. You can hit on authority bias like, you know, and you can use liking, social proof, identity, you know, and more. So why is this bad persuasion? Well, because testimonials in this case would only serve to persuade people on one team, right? This is the problem is that as time goes on and the unknown becomes more known or even less scary, people divide into teams and factions and then it becomes harder, right? So if you, so again, let's look at politics. If you look at election day uh, or elections today, it's less so about converting people to your team and more so about persuading people on your own team to make sure they go out and vote, right? And then if you do that the right way, again, you know, I would argue within within the U.S., there's anywhere from uh, 40 to 45% on both sides that are going to vote their party no matter what. A hat could run for that for that um, party and they will vote for them. So that leaves somewhere around like 10% of people who can be persuaded one way or another. And that's really just going to be dependent on a lot of things baked in. Like, for example, you know, that 10%, like who are the people around them voting for? Right? What's what? What are what are the kind of things that uh, that are important to them? Right? What what big fears do they have? Right? Those are the things they're gonna they're gonna persuade them. So, final thoughts. Final thoughts. And 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 by the way, you know, I don't mean to kind of beat up on on these on, on these ideas. Please keep in mind, like some of these ad execs, um, probably various. You know, they're successful for a reason. There, there's a reason why Business Insider went to them. They're extremely successful and good at what they do. But I'm really just critiquing the ideas, right? By no means am I trying to uh, critique and uh, you know the, the the person, right? We have to live in a society where we should be open to like you know shooting down terrible ideas, you know, and not not people. So again, it's it, this is about the ideas. So final thoughts: uh, persuasion persuasion has to be used in the appropriate manner and with the understanding that there are ethical implications, right? You have to use it responsibly. Um, so if we truly want to follow the science, you know, follow the science, you know, we have to allow physicians and healthcare professionals to do their job, you know, work with their patients to provide information so they can make the right decision for them, right? Persuasion or not, there's never 100% adoption for anything, right? Ever. I mean, look, 
you know, we all know how important it is to eat healthy and exercise. Do you think there's 100% adoption for that? No, absolutely not, right? We all know that when you get in the car, you should wear a seatbelt. 100% adoption for that? No. There's never going to be 100% adoption for anything, right? Open, evidence-based public health education should be the goal for the medical community, in my opinion. Um, and again, I am a big proponent and advocate for allowing the doctor and doctor-patient relationship to be preserved. And I don't think you know uh, companies and um, you know media outlets should be involved in persuading people about things like this, right? So um, that is. That is that is the end of this of this episode. You know, I hope you liked it, um, and I'm gonna try and do a little bit more of these. So, you know, for those of you who don't follow me already, f- be sure to follow me online, Omar M Khatib. You can check me out on all social media handles. If you like this podcast, look, do me a big favor, leave a five star review, leave a review. Right, this is how the people find this podcast, and then I can do uh, more cool things with it. So, with that being said, enjoy your week, and I'll see you next time.